today to another podcast episode of Established in the Faith. This is Pastor James Pierce, and what a privilege it is to have all of you out there by SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, Blueberry, and others. We're just so very pleased and happy to have you with us today. We're going to continue with our study in the book of Romans today. I know it's going to be a blessing to you. If it is, like it and share it with others. You can also go over to establishedinthefaith.com, and if you go there, you'll find more information on how you can subscribe to this podcast as well. We love hearing from you, so please feel free to contact us with any questions and comments that you may have. But we're going to go on into our study now, dealing with Romans chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, and we hope and pray it'll be a blessing to you. Romans chapter 1 and verse 1 again tonight. Romans 1 and verse 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Now, Paul, right off the bat, refers to the Scriptures as being the foundation for his message And that should be a lesson to us, that everything that we do, everything that we hear, every message, should have its foundation in the Word of God. If it don't, then we need to just leave it alone. And I urge you, I'm I'm going to do my best to open up the Scriptures and to teach and preach the Word of God to the best of my ability. But it is your responsibility to open up the Word of God for yourself. Don't just take my word for it. Don't take the preacher's word for it, any, any preacher's word for it. You have a responsibility to open up the Word of God yourself and to search it out and to make sure that what is said lines up with the Word. That's a big, big problem today. People just take any and everything that the preacher says, and they just accept it as being the gospel. And so I urge you, like I said, I'm going to do my best. I'm not going to lead you astray, but it is your responsibility to open up the Word of God for yourself and check it out. And Paul, like I said, immediately right off the bat in verse 2 of Romans, takes us straight to the Scriptures. And he backs up everything that he says with Scripture because there were some Jews who were opposed to his message. They were saying that it was new, it had no foundation at all, and it was opposed to uh, the Old Testament. But Paul defends his position and says that the gospel of God was promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, the Old Testament. And in verse 3, Romans 1 and verse 3, he said that it concerns his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. The gospel is simply Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's who Jesus is and what he did. He was made of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness. That's who Jesus is. He is God manifested in the flesh. The latter half of verse 4 says, The resurrection from the dead. 
And that speaks of the cross and what Jesus did. He was made of the seed of David. Now, the Jews kept up with the genealogies. Um, They knew that the Messiah would come through the lineage of David. I believe that's in the seventh chapter of the book of 2 Samuel. But at any rate, when we open up the New Testament, Matthew begins in chapter 1, verse 1, with the genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Haven, if you will, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. He opens it up and says, The book of the generation of Jesus Christ. And the next words he says is, The son of David, the son of Abraham. And then he goes on from there and traces it back, proving that Jesus Christ was indeed the son of David and of the seed of David. So that much has been proven without a doubt. But being the son of God cannot be proved. It can only be declared, and then it has to be accepted by faith. Verse 4, declared to be the Son of God with power. Notice that. Declared to be the Son of God with power. Jesus' ministry was a ministry of power. Every single person that came to him, he healed them. It didn't make no difference what disease they had, what condition they were in. When he touched them, he healed them totally, absolutely, and completely. If they came to him and was blind, when they walked away, they walked away seeing. Glory to God. If they were deaf, they walked away being able to hear. If they couldn't walk, when Jesus got done with them, they were able to walk. Glory to God. And there's never been a human being in history that were able to do the miracles that Jesus did. Even to such an extent that he raised the dead. Uh, you, You think of that. Lazarus, who had been laid in the grave for four days, and Jesus stood there at the tomb that day and said, Lazarus, come forth. I heard a preacher say one time that there was so much power when Jesus was standing there at that grave. If he had not a called Lazarus' name, every dead person in that tomb would have come out by the power of Almighty God. When, when Jesus called Lazarus' name, Lazarus come forth. And Lazarus came out of that grave having been in there for four days. And when that event took place, many of the Jews believed on him. But still, there were a lot of other Jews who would not believe it. They, they couldn't deny the miracles. I mean, the evidence was overwhelming. I mean, here you have a man that was dead. They put him in the grave four days ago, and now he's here. He's alive. So they couldn't deny the miracles. The evidence was overwhelming. So what did they do? They just attributed his works to being that of the power of Satan. And Jesus said, you've blasphemed the Holy Ghost because he did it through and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Which, if you'll look midway of verse 4, Romans chapter 1 and verse 4, according to the Spirit of holiness. And look at that phrase. According to the Spirit of holiness. Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. 
Again, there's no way that we can prove that. It's been declared in the scriptures and we have to take it by faith. But the virgin birth meant that Joseph had absolutely nothing to do with it, none whatsoever. Now, this is important because the seed of sin is carried out through the man. And Joseph, like I said, had nothing to do with the birth of Christ. It was decreed by the Holy Spirit. And since Joseph had nothing to do with the birth of Christ, man had nothing to do with it. It was decreed by the Holy Spirit. That means that Jesus was born without a sin nature, which means he lived a perfect life. Never one time did he sin. He'd never sinned one time in word, thought, or deed. He lived a perfect life. Holiness, if you will. Righteous. Kept the law of God perfectly. And how do we know that? Well, the latter part of verse 4 says, By the resurrection from the dead. By the resurrection from the dead. The wages of sin is death. If Jesus had a sin one time, that would have been enough to hold him in the grave. But due to the fact that he did not have a sin nature and he never sinned, when he died on Calvary's cross, he rose from the grave three days later, proving that he lived a perfect life. That's power. Some time ago, I was watching a documentary. It wasn't Christian-based. But they were talking about the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ. And the man said that all the evidence pointed to the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead. And that there was no doubt in his mind about that at all, none whatsoever, that Jesus was raised from the dead. But this same man went on to say that that does not prove that Jesus was the Son of God. I'm like, how stupid can you be? I mean, no human being in history has ever had that kind of power to raise himself up from the dead. But Jesus Christ did. And I don't know about you, but to me that proves that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. Mohammed is still in the grave. Buddha is still in the grave. All others, when they died, their bones are still there. But when you journey to Jerusalem and you go to that tomb where they say Jesus was buried, it's the only place in the world where thousands of people gather every year to see something that is not there. <laughs> Glory to God. Jesus is not there. He has risen from the grave. Glory to God. But the sad fact of the matter is, there's an awful lot of people out here who will not believe. No matter how much proof there is in the Scripture, no matter how much it's declared, they simply will not believe it. Go to Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 2. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 2. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. 
You've got an awful lot of people out here that believe parts of the gospel. Because it's a historical fact. It's a fact that Jesus lived. And they believe in Jesus as far as that goes. But as far as his virgin birth, as far as him being the son of God and these types of things, people don't believe it. And I'm going to tell you something, my friend, you've got to believe it all. You've got to believe it all. The gospel is Jesus Christ, who he is, and what he did at Calvary's cross. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. Hebrews 11 and verse 6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You've got to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and that he died on Calvary's cross for our sins, and that he rose from the dead the third day. Then you've got to deny yourself and take up that cross daily. And follow him. And if you will do that, God will reward you. Glory. All right. Romans chapter 1, verse 4 again, Haven, if you will. Romans 1, verse 4. Let's read it again. Get a good running start. And declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. Now, Paul is speaking this of himself, but what he says applies to you and I today. He said, by whom we have received grace. Notice that. By whom we have received grace. There are two aspects of grace of which I want to take a few minutes and take a look at here. Most understand grace as being unmerited favor. Now, what do we mean by that, unmerited favor? God sent his son into this world to die for our sins. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That salvation, unmerited favor of God. That's what we call umbrella grace. Every single human being in this world, once they hear the gospel, they have a free will of choice to accept the message and, and, and have faith in it. That's all that is required. Believe. Believe in Jesus Christ, who he is and what he did. And I think most of us understand grace as it pertains to salvation. But we have a problem when it pertains to sanctification. Grace as it pertains to sanctification. Grace is the effectual working power within. Haven, if you will, go to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 7. Ephesians 3, verse 7. Paul said, Whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. That's grace. 
Here we have a man, the Apostle Paul, in the very beginning, who was opposed to the church. He was doing everything that he could to destroy the church. But then he was on that road to Damascus, going down to persecute the church even more, when the Lord got his attention. And he said, Lord, what will you have me to do? And Paul got saved on that road going down to Damascus. Ladies and gentlemen, that's grace. That's grace. But the moment he got saved, the effectual working power of the Holy Spirit came into his heart and life and changed him. He did a 180-degree change. He went from destroying the church to becoming the master builder of the church. God made him a minister of the gospel, made him an apostle, the Bible says. He wrote over half of the New Testament. That's the effectual working, the power of God that was working in his heart and life. If the power of God can do that to the Apostle Paul, what can he do to you and I? We have that same power inside of us. Matter of fact, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that we have residing within our hearts and lives. Now, let me give you this definition of grace. The Greek word for grace is charis. It means a divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in the life. Let me say that again. The Greek word for grace is charis. Charis. It means a divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in the life. Now, all of us are influenced by the people that we hang around. If you hang around a tailbearer, after a while, you're going to be spreading gossip just like they do. Hello? You hang around people at work that tell dirty jokes, after a while, it's going to rub off on you, and you're going to be telling dirty jokes. Kids today in school, they see their friends doing drugs and smoking and drinking and doing all these other things. They want to fit in. There's peer pressure there. And they hang around uh, that bad influence, and after a while, they start doing it. And it's a bad influence, and we're, we understand a bad influence, but what I'm talking about here is a divine influence. A divine influence. Being with the Lord Jesus Christ, putting yourself in an environment that is conducive to the moving and working of the Holy Spirit, spending that time alone with Jesus Christ, developing your relationship with Him. That's the divine influence that I'm talking about here. And let me tell you, the more you develop your relationship with Christ, the more he will influence you and the more that you will become like him. And that's what a Christian is, being Christ-like. The divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in the life. It's all done by his grace. Salvation is available to all. That's grace.
But once we accept it by faith, we have the divine effectual working power of the Holy Spirit that begins to have its influence in our lives, and then its reflection can be seen by others in our lives. That's grace. But now grace can be frustrated. Let's take a look at that. Galatians 2 and 20. Galatians 2 and 20. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. God changed him from a Saul who was going to destroy the church and turned him into a Paul, the master builder of the church. I am crucified with Christ. That's everything that he was prior to salvation. The old man, the sinful, uh, sinful man. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but it is Christ that is living in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith. Notice that. By the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul put his faith in Jesus Christ, who he was, declared to be the Son of God by the power and the resurrection, and gave himself for me. That speaks of the cross and why Jesus came into this world. But he went on to say there in verse 21 of Galatians chapter 2, he said, I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Now, what was he talking about here? When Paul wrote this letter to the church at Galatia, there were some Jews who had come into the church who believed in Jesus Christ. They believed in, in his virgin birth. They believed he was the Son of God. They believed he died on Calvary. They believed he raised from the dead the third day. Now, that's good doctrine. They believed all of that. But they were also coming along and saying, that's good that you believe all that, but now you've got to keep the Sabbath days. And all the little boy babies have got to be circumcised, and they were bringing in the Old Testament law and, and, and the rules and the regulations and that sort of thing. And Paul said, Haven, if you will, go to Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1. Galatians 5 verse 1. You see, when Jesus died on Calvary, he satisfied the demands of the law. He kept the law of God perfectly. And his perfect life becomes our perfect life. He has set us free from the law. You can't be righteous by keeping the law. Number one, no human being has ever kept the law of God. Only Jesus Christ. And the moment you get saved, you are in him. He is in you. We're baptized into Christ. We are set free from sin. We're also set free from the law. And that's what he's talking about in Galatians 5 and verse 1. He says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. And be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. In other words, law-keeping. 
Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if you be circumcised, in other words, if your faith is in the doing of that or anything else for that matter that man comes up with, then Christ shall profit you nothing. Notice that. Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. In other words, you can't just do a little here and a little there like you go into the cafeteria and you pick what you want. You've, you've got, if you're going to be justified by the law, which no human being ever has, but if you decide to go that way, you've got to keep the whole thing. And if you break even one, then you will pay the price. A debtor to do the whole law, Christ is become of no effect unto you. In other words, the divine effectual working power of the Holy Spirit will not be able to have his way within your heart and life. He will no longer influence you. And the reflection of Christ will not be seen by others in you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. Look at that. Fallen from grace. Understand this. Faith in Christ and what he did at Calvary is what saves you. Faith in Christ and what he did at Calvary is what sanctifies you. You grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord. But it's all, it's all dependent upon your faith. The problem is, many times when people get saved, they, try, they start out living for God. Oh, well, I can keep the Ten Commandments now. I can do this and I can do that. And it's not long before they figure out, no, you can't. We're still in this flesh. The, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is still weak. But Jesus Christ kept it for us. And we are in him, and he is in us, as long as we keep our faith in that. If we allow our faith to shift to something else, and it makes no difference what the something else is, I know what I'm talking about. If you allow your faith to shift, the Holy Spirit cannot work in your life as he needs to work. That that needs to be done within our hearts and lives can only be done by the Holy Spirit. And he works as long as we keep our faith in the finished work of Christ. If we allow our faith to shift to something else, like reading three chapters in the Bible a day, or praying 15, 20 minutes a day, or I'm going to be in church every time the church doors open, you know, I can go on and on and on with that. Laws and rules that we make up ourselves or laws and rules that our church makes up. You know, we've got a whole group of people out here that say you've got to wear your shirt sleeve down so long and you can't wear makeup and, and you know, ladies can't wear jewelry. And we go on and on and on. And this is supposed to uh, give us some type of life of holiness that has absolutely nothing to do with holiness, none whatsoever. 
It is the Holy Spirit of God that works within our hearts and lives as we keep our faith in the finished work of Christ. The Holy Spirit will clean us up. Somebody told me a long time ago, said, Brother James, if you catch them, God the Holy Ghost will clean them. But it's all dependent on our faith being in his finished work. It's not what we do. Now, please, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. If you're saved, you will read your Bible. You will pray so much a day. You will go to church. These are things that you will do. But these things will help you grow. But these things do not make you holy. It is the blood of Jesus Christ and what he did at Calvary that makes you holy. That's, that's what makes you holy. Ephesians 2 and verse 8. We'll wrap it up. Ephesians 2 verse 8. For by grace are you saved through faith. There you go again. But it's not faith in anything. It's not faith in water baptism. It's not faith in speaking in other tongues. It's not faith in, in a hundred and other one different things that you can name. It's got to be faith in Christ. That's the only thing that God will recognize. You are saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Notice that terminology. Created in Christ Jesus. You are in him. You are in him. Unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. I've said it before. I don't breathe and eat. To become a human being. I breathe and I eat because I am a human being. And I go to church and I preach and I read his word and I pray uh, to the Lord every day because I am a Christian. I don't do these things to become a Christian. Understand, you get your, get your priorities straight. You do these things because you are saved. You don't do these things to get saved. If the program today has been a blessing to you, we hope and pray that you'll share it with others. This podcast has been made possible by the prayerful and generous financial support of listeners like you to contact us or to contribute to this ministry. Go to establishedinthefaith.com click on the donate tab all donations are safe and secure through paypal we look forward to hearing from you